to any of Krista Martin's family or friends that might listen to this podcast, I want to personally apologize before listening because I know some of the content matter might be unsettling. All of this information was obtained through media records and that's all the way we found the information because we haven't been able to get any information through police records. It was all obtained through the Wichita Eagle and Beacon and cake. Again, I want to apologize. Oh, and I am sorry, also through some of the Missouri media records. Again, I want to apologize because I know some of this information can be upsetting to dredge up for you guys. But the reason we are doing this is we want to seek justice for Krista Martin. It is not for any sensationalism, and it is definitely not for any funds. Anybody knows any type of money that is achieved through podcasting is very minute. And any funds that Crime Scenes and Cupcakes receives, we are putting the funds together to get a billboard in Wichita, Kansas. We are trying to get a billboard together for atomic billboards for the missing across Kansas. Again, I just want to apologize to any family that might hear this again. I know this topic is extremely unsettling. It was unsettling for me to read it and to go through it. But it needs to be shared in order to get justice. Hey fellow true crime lovers, my name is Patrick and I am the host of Not Adding Up. Not Adding Up is a podcast that features cases, as the name implies, don't add it up. This can be disappearances, strange deaths, wrongful convictions, unsolved crimes, and other unexplained phenomena. Each week, I walk a friend or family member through a case in which they are unfamiliar. I do this to allow them to ask questions I may not have thought of while researching, or that you may have as you listen. The cases I cover range from ones that are well-known to some you may not have heard before. Since the cases I cover don't add up, I always encourage my listeners to form their own theories on what they believe happened and never present my opinion as fact. Frequently, my co-host has a very different theory than my own, which proves the cases I cover are ones that just don't make sense and need to be discussed further. So if you are a true crime lover and find yourself constantly forming your own theories when listening to podcasts, Not Adding Up is perfect for you. Tune in each Friday for new episodes, available on all major streaming platforms. Crime Scene and Cupcakes is an independent podcast created in the Anchor app, funded mainly through advertising. The podcast often has coarse language and disturbing content. Please listen wisely. Hey guys, it's Marianne, Dog Mom, Baker, True Crime Podcast Maker, and today will be one of the most difficult podcasts I have ever done. So I'm asking you to hang in there with me. The audio might get a little rough. 
I might have some grammatical issues. And overall, it just might seem a little off, but this is emotionally really difficult for me. I'm going to do the best I can, but I want to do it in just one go. So hang in there with me and I'll do the best I can. I thought I have been doing so many podcasts on the Krista Martin case. And I thought I'd been doing so many podcasts about her case because I talk about her case every day. I research her case every day. I am working on information. I am trying to get information. I'm reaching out to people. I am breathing her case every day. And it wasn't until recently, I was going back through my podcast and I realized it was back in March when I had last done a podcast on Krista's case. And it was also then I realized that was really the only podcast I did on Krista's case. You see, it's so hard for me to talk about it. Psychologically, I was just avoiding it. I was working on the case. I was looking for answers. I was reaching out to any and every other human being and family who needed answers the whole time being selfish in safeguarding Krista's memories for myself and at the same time begging all of you to share Krista's case. How the hell was I supposed to expect you guys to share her case when you know nothing about her? And then Patrick, from not adding up, reached out to me and said those exact same things. And I needed somebody to splash that water in my face. So, I had hoped I was going to be able to share this conversation with the amazing group at Cryptic Soup Pod. But life happens, and it gets in the way. And I'm really hoping we get to do a collab in the future. As you guys know, we had an emergency earlier in my family, and I was really hoping to be able to get to Indianapolis. And Hoppy was really hoping to go to Indianapolis, too. And that wasn't able to happen. And I really want to get to Indianapolis since I am dying to meet Autumn Bones, who has that cool book. And I want to hang with the group from Cryptic Pod, Cryptic Soup Pod. I almost did it again. And Todd Jordan, I want to see the facilities that they are doing. And we have the donation for them. But family is always first. 
going to focus today's podcast on Krista Martin's case. And I'm going to share with you guys, because Dana Paul with Investigative PI, I hope I'm getting that correct. I know I'm not. My brain has shut off for a moment. I know I'm not getting her podcast correct. And it will come to me here in a moment. But Dana Paul is amazing. And she has been working with me so hard on this case. And we have put together some pieces. And we're hoping we're eventually going to be able to get some answers. Also, a campus high school alumni has been assisting and helping with some information. And he is a news reporter, Jared Sorello. Absolutely incredible person. Does not remember me from campus high school, but I look so much different now. So we, again, we're, we're making some advancements and we wouldn't be able to do it without the people who have been coming forward and helping us find answers. In order to find answers, I have got to introduce you guys to an amazing person. I'm going to take a deep breath and I hope you guys will bear with me because as I've said before, this is probably going to be one of the hardest podcasts I've ever done. But here we go. Today I would like to introduce to you dear friend and neighbor, Krista Renee Martin. So Krista was born on March 20th, 1969 to her mother, Erlene, and her father, Charles. She had a younger sister, Sherry, now, Sherry would come along a year later. So, Sherry and I were the same age, if that tells you now how old I am. And so, even though Sherry and I were the same age, Krista and I just, we had more in common. Sherry was the popular girl. Very beautiful. And Krista, I thought, was very beautiful, but... We were more, we liked more of the tomboy kind of stuff. And um, so they lived in Hayesville, Kansas. And she attended campus high school in her teens. And she loved cats, especially Siamese cats. And she loved art. She was a very artistic soul and very eclectic she liked more a very one of those unusual eclectic artists and as i had said in an earlier podcast during the 70s and 80s in kansas being a very artistic soul and being a little quirky you weren't really accepted very well in schools like campus high school but I believe in a world today 
she would have thrived. She would have thrived so much. People would have embraced her. You guys would have loved her. And she didn't treat me as if I was annoying or odd. And we had great conversations. And I think we bonded over our oddness. I mean, we talked a lot about how sometimes we felt like the odd kid out of a family. And we felt like we just didn't fit in in the world at times. We just kind of felt like the world didn't accept us. Just why our mothers couldn't just let us be who we were and dress how we wanted to dress and be who we wanted to be. And they couldn't just love us for that. And it couldn't just be okay. So while Krista was a teenager, her mother, Erlene, and her father, Charles, would get a divorce. And I know that was really hard on her because she really loved her dad. Now, Arlene would still live in the house next to ours, and she would end up remarrying another man named Tony. And Krista would end up having two stepbrothers. Now, I honestly, I, I don't know much about her relationship with her stepbrothers. I, I really don't have much insight into that. I know that there were some news articles that talked about Krista being outgoing and those kind of things, and they could not be further from the truth. Krista was shy. She was an introvert, and you had to really get to know Krista. Now, once you did, she was your friend. She would do anything for you, but you had to get to know her. Um, she was, in fact, like I said, uh, one of our alumni, Jared, when he was working on the news story for the 20th anniversary of Krista's murder, uh, when he was working on the Crime Stopper special, he had posted on Facebook to the campus alumni looking for anyone who knew Krista. And I had just come across that post here recently. And so I, I wasn't a Facebook person back at that time. And it broke my heart, the people who responded to him. Because one person responded um, to Google her. Um, another person was like, I have no idea who that was. Another person, I'm not going to call them out, was like, um, I guess I kind of know who she was. And it made me so angry because this person I was friends with. And if I was friends with you, I know you knew Krista because Krista was my friend. And if you were my friend, you knew Krista. You know who Krista is. You know who Krista was. If you know Krista's sister, you know Krista. Sorry, guys. I told you this would be hard. Okay. So, like I said, it really broke my heart when I came across those messages. And I immediately reached out to Jared. 
And um, I know I've mentioned my amazing brother. I have a brother that has been my rock. I don't think I would be here today if it wasn't for him. He pushed me so hard. He pushed me by education. He continuously told me how smart I was and pushed me. And even when he wasn't in my life, because I really struggled with my family. And so I, when I left home and it was a really rocky situation, when I left home, when I walked out the door, I walked out with nothing. But every time I was going on and furthering my education and when tests were hard, when things were hard, when everything was hard, I would remember him telling me how smart I was. I was remembering on my graduation when nobody seemed to care that I was graduating high school and I was the primary family member at that time that was ever graduating, how proud he was. And he and a friend of his paid for my graduation stuff and made sure I got that. So he is an amazing person. So when I posted on Jared's comment about Krista, my amazing brother immediately posted right after, and he posted some glowing words about Krista. He has been so supportive of this podcast. He has been so supportive of me trying to find answers, and he is trying just as hard as I am. When I think I can't go any further, he is right there helping me find my way. So I just needed, like I said, this is emotional and this is hard. He is my emotional touchstone and he keeps me going. He has helped me through my childhood and he helps me keep it going. So, okay, I'm back. So when I posted that, it was amazing. Then I posted it and then my brother posted. And then here it is 30 years later and other people started posting. And it was just so incredible to see that. And it reminded me of a quote that was in the book that Autumn Bones has written here recently that I talked about on the Dana Chandler podcast. And I'm going to read it here again, because that quote has really meant something to me more and more lately. And this quote is by Marcus Tullius, I hope I'm saying that correct, Cicero. And it says, the life of the dead is placed in the memory of the living. And again, when I saw how few people held her in their memories, it just really broke my heart in two. 
But then after I posted and my brother posted, and then we saw other people who did remember her. That meant so much to me. I think I've mentioned in the earlier podcast, one of my loves for horror movies comes from my family who are huge horror movie people. My brothers are great. I just love horror movies. My love for Stephen King. When I found Stephen King in the library, I've devoured his books. I got to go and see him in a private concert with the Rock Bottom Remainders. Took my son. It was a great private thing we got to go do. There was just a handful of people there. So it was got to see him face to face was an amazing, iconic moment. And then I took my son to Santa Monica Pier and on the beach, he got his first tattoo pissed his dad off, but made me the happiest mother in the world. You know, as we got older, and as I'd said, when I left home, my relationship with my family has been tenuous at best. And when you grow and you leave home, I had, when I walked out that door, I left a lot of things behind. And unfortunately, one of those things I left behind was also Krista because I didn't have a cell phone and she lived next door to my family who I was not speaking to. I had no way to connect with her. I had no way to contact her. I was going on and continuing my studies. So there was that lull where I did not speak to her. And I have a lot of guilt about that because I do wonder if I hadn't just walked out that door and just blew up and walked away, if I had maintained some sort of relationship, how many other things in life would have been different. October of 1989 is when my brother told me that Krista had been murdered. This is what we know about her case. Sometime between September 18th to September 28th, the police are called to Krista's apartment, unit, whatever you want to call it, because there is a domestic disturbance. Beverly Orth hears two people fighting. Well, actually, she hears multiple people fighting. And that's when, according to her, she hears a shorter guy tell, ask a taller guy, why did you have to hit her? And the other responds, because she's a woman and she deserved it. Then we know she goes to Toto's on the Saturday night before she's murdered and she's out drinking with friends. And again, I've lost contact with Krista, so I don't know exactly who those friends are. If those friends would like to come forward, DM me, please. And I would love to just get a little bit more information 
but this is from the 20th anniversary Crime Stoppers video that was done by Jared Storello. So we know she went to uh, Toto's at Pawnee and Hydraulic. She has a few drinks and then she leaves. Now, I don't know if she leaves alone. I don't know if she leaves with somebody else. I don't have that information. I, I don't know. But then we know that a friend had been trying to reach her and they hadn't been able to reach her. So they go to her apartment and that's when she's found. Work with me because I might be bouncing around a little bit because I have been all over the place to gather this information. Saturday night, which was September 30th, of 1989, Krista was at a bar called Toto's. Now, I don't know if Toto's had an underage drinking night, and I've been trying to figure that out. I haven't been able to find that out yet because Krista was only 20 at the time, but she was at that bar drinking with some friends, and that was the last time anybody had actually seen Krista. But the week before that, Krista was heard having a fight and actually police were called. There was a woman that called the police named Beverly Orth because she had heard a disturbance outside of her window about three or four in the morning at Krista's house. Now they call Krista's house an apartment. It's not an apartment. It's more like one of those houses that are split up into units. She heard a bunch of yelling coming from across the street. And then she sees these two guys outside talking to one another. And one guy was somewhat shorter than the other guy. And the shorter guy asked the tall guy, why did you have to hit her? And the tall guy said, because she's a woman and she deserved to be hit. Now, we do know police were called to that location the week before. We know those events occurred, but I have not been able to gain any information regarding that. We don't know if the names of the perpetrators, of the men. We don't know if it was a domestic situation. I don't have anything on that. That's something we don't know. Now, I found that information out basically from Dave Hendrick from the Wichita Eagle. That's from a newspaper article he did the week she was slain. We know that happened. But then, so this isn't an injury that happened that week and then she died after that because of those in long longer term injuries it was a question that i had wondered of okay maybe those guys had hit her and you know sometimes you get hit in the head and then you succumb to the injuries later but i checked that out that's not what happened and beverly orth the woman who lived across the street calls the police at about three or four in the morning. But then, okay, so that's the week before. 
So then the following weekend on September 30th, Krista goes to Toto's. So I'm not sure if she was supposed to be there, if maybe the bouncer let her in, um, knowing she was under 21, if she had a fake ID, if that was a special night that they had. I'm not sure what happened there, but she's at this bar, Toto's. She's with friends and she's drinking. So she's out drinking with friends and that's the last time people saw Krista. Then she goes home. Now, then it's Sunday morning and a friend had been trying to reach her. So that's the one thing I don't get. So the last steps police were able to reach, retrace was that Krista was at that club, Toto's, and Toto's is at Pawnee and Hydraulic in Wichita. So she was there on Saturday night. And then the friend, and that was on Saturday night, and then this friend, Krista goes to this local club called Toto's at Pawnee and Hydraulic on that Saturday night. And that was the last known contact that anybody can remember of seeing her actually alive. And then friends are saying that they were trying to reach her through Sunday and they weren't able to reach her. And then another friend then goes to her apartment or unit of her house. And when they get there, it's one o'clock in the morning. And that's one where I, I do have, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. Because I don't know a lot of friends. If you haven't been able to reach me, why are you coming over at 1 a.m.? Why not come over at some time during the day on Sunday? It's just a little odd to be coming over at one o'clock in the morning. Now, it's been repeated over and over that police, it's never put in the media as to why exactly the friend has come over, except that the friend hasn't been able to reach Krista, so they come over at one o'clock in the morning. Now, it could be that the friend worked another job, that there wasn't any information, and there really hasn't been a release as to who this friend was. Again, I haven't been able to get any information on this case except for what's been put out there in the media. So, the friend goes to her apartment, um, unit, whatever you want to call it, and they go to check on her, and that's when they notice her door is slightly ajar. Now, I want to call back to that being in the Crime Stoppers four-year anniversary in the Wichita Eagle. Then on the 20th anniversary from Cake, in the four-year anniversary, they say the friend goes to her house and the door is slightly ajar and her home is dark. In the 20th anniversary, 
they all the police officer says is well there was no sign of a forced entry and Krista would often leave her door unlocked and there's just so many things to this that just doesn't jive I mean this just doesn't make a lot of sense it, it's just there's a lot of stuff in this case it's just it it's odd so Let's say, okay, there's no forced entry and the door is open at the time. So whoever it is left the door open, but there was no forced entry. And yeah, okay, maybe Krista knew the person and let the door in or left the, let them in the door. Or maybe she was on her way home that Saturday night and the person had forced entry as she was coming in the door. We don't know the answers to this. But when the friend gets there, they find Krista on the couch and she's fully clothed. Now, that has been information that has been in the Wichita Eagle for some time. But then we find out in the 20th anniversary Crime Stoppers video that Krista was sexually assaulted. So that would mean that the killer then would have redressed her. And that's another question of to what purpose? What was the motivation? What was the means? Did Krista redress herself? Was she still alive at that point? Was there an altercation at some point after that? It, you don't, it, it just, it's very odd when you have a sexual assault and the victim is clothed. It's a very odd situation when in the newspapers, they state that she is fully clothed unless in the 20th anniversary of her murder, they are finally wanting to say okay, now we're willing to release she's been sexually assaulted because there's no mention of the way she's clothed at that point. But in the earlier articles, they consistently say she's fully clothed. So it's very odd how this is covered. It, it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I, I'm going brain dead trying to figure it out. And I really wish I would just be able to read the police reports and just get that one answer to that question. I mean, it just being fully clothed after you've been sexually assaulted is a huge point. Now, she was laying on the couch. She was fully clothed. She's been sexually assaulted. An autopsy reveals she was clubbed with a blunt object. The police say the object was not left in the home. They could not figure out what object she had been clubbed with. And her family did say repeatedly, it was kind of interesting, um, 
in the the video that the family repeatedly wanted to talk about her generosity and that they were concerned that her being the generous person that she was is that, you know, maybe her generosity was what seemed to maybe had got her into the situation that it did, you know, maybe her being so kind to people. But I also found in some of the uh, articles that were written that there was a sign of a struggle. So it, it appears that Krista did struggle with her assailant in her apartment. At the mention of a struggle, the one thing I thought was, I hope she got some licks in because Krista ran track and Krista and I would wrestle. I mean, we were tomboys. So I remember one instance where we were wrestling around and just kind of fighting and doing, you know, we behaved sometimes as boys and we were fighting in the living room of our house one time and that girl can fight. And I hope she fought, and I hope she fought hard, and I hope she got some licks in, and I pray that there is DNA on her that can bring this case to a close. We're not just going to look at Krista's murder and say, okay, that's just our narrow focus. You got to look at the whole playing field. What else is going on in that neighborhood? What's going on with her neighbors? Because it's a unit. It's a house with all these other little units and apartments and stuff. What else is going on there? And I found something really, really interesting going on in the area of 506 South Osage. Six months after Krista's murder, the home she lived in, it saw some other problems. Her landlord was attacked by the tenant living next door to Krista. His name is Gary Bice. Gary D. Bice. Now, Gary attacked Krista's 77-year-old landlord, George T. Kuban. Kuban, Kuba, I'm not quite sure how I'm pronouncing that name. If I'm getting it wrong, sorry. He attacked him by stabbing him and beating him on the afternoon of April 28, 1990. Now, Kuban had initially told police he fell down some stairs. He had gone to the hospital and said, you know, the typical violent situation of, I fell down some stairs. Sorry, that's what happened. And I don't know about you guys, unless there were a bunch of knives sitting straight up on the stairs, I don't know of any too many um, knife-wielding stairs, gotta tell you. After being questioned a lot, he finally admitted that the renter attacked him. That's when the police went, got Bice, and took him to the Sedgwick County Jail and charged him with aggravated battery. Sounds to me more like attempted murder, but what do I know? And they gave him a small bond, and he bonded out and left. And decided not to stick around. Yeah. He then decides to go on a bit of a spree. 
And so he and a friend, another gentleman, sound familiar? Two guys. Tall guy, a little bit of a shorter guy. This guy is named Vincent Mears. He's 19 at the time, and he was from Kansas City. I didn't tell you, but Bice is from Carthage, Missouri. Mears and Gary D. Bice, they decide to go for a joyride that was less than joyous for police. They lead authorities on a vehicle chase that ends up just a shit show when the car loses control and crashes northeast of Granby in Missouri, and this was stated by the Newton County Sheriff's Department. They were being sought on charges out of Newton County for tampering with a vehicle and, I love this, this is by the newspaper there, flourishing a weapon. And I'm sorry, I just have this whole mental image, I wish you could see me doing it, of flourishing a weapon. I want to see the flourish. When Missouri officers were conducting their investigation, lo and behold, these two peach of a men were wanted in Cowley County, Kansas. Mears was wanted for parole violation and Bice, yeah, remember Bice? He was wanted for the aggravated battery on the landlord because he didn't want to stick around like he was supposed to. Also, it was found that Newton County also wanted him for burglary. Yeah, Krista did not have the best neighbor. Now, I want to know where this upstanding citizen was now. So, I decided to comb the records. And... I came across a very charming picture of him that we're going to post on our social media. It appears Gary D. Bice decided to go back to Missouri because obviously he was sick of Kansas because he created as much mayhem as he could here. And he decided to move on to Cape Jardot, I think is how you say it, Missouri. For those Missourians, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. There, he has been found guilty of three counts of statutory sodomy. Now, this is according to prosecuting attorney Morley Swingle. Okay, so Gary D. Bice, who is now 44 at this time, and this is, I think, in 2011, at that time, he's living on Perry Avenue in Cape Girardeau and was found guilty of molesting a girl who's nine years old. Okay, she was nine years old when the abuse started. The prosecuting attorney's office reports the girl reported the abuse to her mother who then takes the girl to network against sexual violence in Missouri. The report states the nine-year-old girl testified that the abuse was almost daily for a period of time. And that's when Bice, he was living in their household. It doesn't really state what he was doing there, but he was living there. So Bice 
is a sucky individual. The report also states Estes interviewed Bice in a video shown to the court during testimony, and on the video, Bice admitted to molesting the girl, but he says he only did it because she asked him to. This nine-year-old girl, he says, she pursued him. Now, according to KFVS 12 in Missouri, at the trial, Assistant Public Defender Ted Lizeski argued that Bice has made up his confession and had not really committed the crime. He's an innocent man, folks. Lizeski argued that he was mentally slow. The attorney called witnesses to confirm that Bice was mentally slow and sometimes has fantasies and convinces himself that something really has happened. Yeah, he's an upstanding gentleman who just has fantasies that he talked to police and runs from them and stabs landlords and they don't actually happen. But in a rebuttal, Woodruff called Deputy Roy Jones from the Stoddard County Sheriff's Office, who testified that he had contact with Bice every day for over a year and that he was completely normal in behavior. The case was tried in Stoddard County on a change of venue in front of Associate Circuit Judge Joe Z. Satterfield, and the verdict was returned on Wednesday, May 18, 2011. Judge Satterfield scheduled sentencing for June 20, 2011. Swingle said Bice faces up to life in prison on each of the three counts. Swingle says the minimum possible, possible sentence on each of the three counts is 10 years. Now I've checked, Bice ended up with 25 years. Bice has also spent his days with multiple court cases. He files constant things saying he is not being kept appropriately. He complains about the food. He complains about claustrophobia. Um, I mean, he complains that somebody is... He gets CT scans. He, I mean, he just, this guy is a horrible, oh, he complains about his cell block isn't clean. He doesn't get, I mean, this guy every day is submitting something. This man is a piece of work. I'm not sure if he had anything to do with Chris's case. I just want to be completely honest about this, but this guy is a piece of work. And he does have, he lived in proximity with Krista. He was in the area. He did have his friend who, you have two men. So there, there are some reasonable aspects, but we also have some other theories. So, there are those. Um, but I just wanted to throw that one out there. That, 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 that was a little odd. Now, 
one of the things that gets me is when you look at all the news articles on Krista's case, Mike McKenna was the investigating officer and he consistently would say to any news media outlet who would ask him, and he would say it would be extremely difficult to solve Krista Martin's case. And my question to Mike McKenna, if you're out there and listening, is why? What is it about Krista Martin's case that is so difficult to solve over anyone else's case? You never explain it. You never say why. Is it because you think it's a stranger that attacked her? Even on the 20th anniversary of her murder, it appears that the police, it reminds me of Patrick in when he talks about people who have certain lifestyles that police almost behave like certain people don't deserve to have their cases solved. There is no reason whatsoever that I can find that makes Krista's case unsolvable. If she was sexually assaulted, there is DNA. Have you checked the DNA? There have been so many amazing advances. Have you tried rechecking the DNA? Did you ever check her DNA? Anyone out there who is willing to do a podcast on Krista Martin, the one thing I ask you to do, because nobody seems to be taking me seriously, Mike McKenna states again and again how Krista Martin's case will be difficult to solve. And I just want to know why. What makes Krista Martin's case so difficult to solve? It's been over 30 years. Just tell us, what is it about her case that makes it so difficult. I just don't understand what about this case makes it so difficult to solve. I understand cases can be difficult to solve Cases that are committed by a stranger are especially difficult to solve. But what was it about Chris's case that was so difficult to solve? Because there's no information out there. 
One other thing I find extremely interesting that I'd like to share with the community is that I, I was so excited. I did a podcast on it when the Wichita Police Department had an unsolved website, cold case website, where you could go and you could look at the cold cases and... You know, if you had any information, it had who you could contact, which it still has who you could contact, but you can no longer see any information at all about the victims. The Wichita Police Department website, there is, it's, it's, there's, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm speechless. There's no transparency. I felt like there was finally something where there was some back and forth with the police department so that we could share the information and get the information out there about the victims. And now they've cut us off. And all I keep hearing are the words from Mike McKenna in my head over and over saying, Krista Martin's case is going to be extremely difficult to solve. I don't know I've ever heard a police officer just say something like that. that that's probably been like the craziest thing about her case. Usually police officers want to try to give hope or information or, you know, they want to try to do that. And if you look at the news articles about her case, it's, it's insane. It's like they're, everything about that case is, eh, don't even try it. Eh, don't mess with it. Stay away from it. What is that about it? What are, what are you trying to keep us away from? I'm going to leave you guys. When anybody tries to say that there are any horrible things or reasons about Chris, and I'm sure I've shared this story before. Krista might have indulged in a little bit of recreational drug use. I mean... If that's what police are alluding to. But here's a story about Krista as to why I know there is nothing hinky or nothing. She didn't, she wasn't a party girl. And I've shared this probably before a few times and I'm going to share it again because it's my favorite story about Krista. I was a complete nerd and... We were at a party and one of my brothers was there. And a lot of the party goers were partaking of marijuana, whatever the word is for it now, the devil's lettuce, whatever it's called. Um, and 
I was tired of being the odd person out and the nerd. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. I've always wondered what it's like. I'm going to try it. And so knowing that Krista has tried it and we're, we're teens at the time, she's older than me. Um, and the boy I was supposed to go to prom with had left the party with another girl and I was feeling quite down and nerdy. And, um, so I told her, I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. So I need you to hook me up. Help me, help me out here. And I will never forget her telling me, don't you dare. And if I catch you, and if you do this, I will tell on you. I will tell your parents. I will tell everybody. And then she did tell my brother. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that part. But she did tell my brother that I was thinking about it. Which did get me in quite a bit of hot water. Um, but, yeah. She said if she ever found out that I was to ever do drugs, she would kick my ass. And you know what? I never have. So, Krista, I never have. I've kept that. I've never done it. And thank you so much for telling my brother on me. Because I got in big trouble. But I know this telling the story was a little scattered. Um, I tried to do it the best way I could. Um, I will come back and tell it again. This was kind of a rush, scattered, hard way for me to share it. Um, I'll do a better job. I'll try to come back and keep doing this more often until it becomes easier for me. I would like some answers. Um, hopefully at some day, some point, it's been over a year now, we've been trying to get copies of her case or any information from the Wichita Police Department. We haven't gotten that yet. We're gonna keep another theory that we have been working on gathering evidence for is looking that maybe it could have been, again, when you're looking at someone who had a domestic disturbance with Krista, could it have been someone she was intimate with or someone that she was just close friends with? And I wanna correct something I said earlier. In the conversation, that she that Beverly Arth had overheard with the two men outside when the one guy asked the tall guy he said why did you have to hit her Orth had actually heard the guy say the tall guy say back to her to the shorter guy because she's a woman and she deserved it I wanted to correct what I said earlier. That was incorrect, and I wanted to make sure I had the quote correct. 
Now, it is wonderful that Beverly Orth had called the police in that domestic violence situation because very rarely neighbors do that. I only wish the police were a little more forthcoming on that information, but in one of the TikToks that I did here recently, I had said that sometimes police will withhold information because they do that to keep the case protected. And I understand the Wichita police might be doing that to protect Krista Martin's case. Here's my problem. If you're doing that to protect Krista Martin's case, there's no information out there for her case at all. In fact, there's no information out there for several cases that have gone cold. We need to engage the community. Now, there is a new chief of police, and I am desperately hoping because he seemed very knowledgeable about how social media can help in solving cases. So I'm really hoping that he will utilize social media to do this. But after, as I mentioned earlier, the Wichita Police Department, we can't even get to the cold cases anymore where I was so excited before that we could. But we still have Uncovered.com, which is an amazing resource for cold cases. Now, Uncovered.com is willing to work with law enforcement across the United States. And wouldn't that be just an amazing thing for those databases to be able to work together police departments wouldn't have to work so hard at least reaching the true crime community. Food for thought. Before I end this podcast, I do want to bring up one thing about Krista Martin's case that several people have approached me and talked about as I have been pushing so hard for answers for Krista. And that is questions about Krista's family. And that has been batted to me quite a bit. And my answer to them is, Krista's family has had to fight so long. And I can't imagine the pain that they've had to endure. Every family, what they have to go through, through these losses... I can't even imagine. And it is our job as true crimers in every capacity to support these families in every and any way we can. And that is what I will continue to do. And as I will continue to say to anybody and everybody in Krista Martin's family, My DMs are open. I am always open for any conversation. 
and I am here to help in any way possible. But my ultimate goal is always to get justice for Krista. Now I know some people think, well, her killer will get justice at the end. And that's to everyone's belief. But I want to see that person get justice before I leave this earth. And I want to know who that person is. Not just for me. But because I don't know if that person has continued to go on and hurt anyone else. Or maybe hurting anyone else today. And I feel like it is our job in the true crime community to make sure those persons are held accountable. As I said earlier, Krista never made me feel awkward. She never made me feel judged. She always made me feel accepted. I was an awkward, oh my God, the pictures. I was a skeleton and a very weird child and teenager. But she never made me feel that way. And if I can repay her kindness in any way and continue to fight for justice for her, until my dying breath, that is exactly what I'm going to do. Again, I want to call out, call out, shout out, call out. That sounded ominous, didn't it? I want to give a shout out to not adding up. Patrick with not adding up. I've been binging his podcast recently and he is amazing. If you guys have a chance to listen to his podcast, he's brilliant. His trailer, trailer, boy, I'm tired. His trailer is at the beginning of my podcast today. And I want you guys to give him a listen because he's great. And his TikToks are incredible. I'm trying to learn from him because I'm old and I'm not very good with TikTok, so I'm kind of trying to learn from him, and he's given me these little tips, and it's great. And I also love the fact that he recently made a reference in his recent TikTok, or his recent podcast to the Golden Girls, and I'm like, first of all, I love the Golden Girls. I just love them. I got a lunchbox recently for my brother about the Golden Girls, because that's we vibe on that level. And then I also thought, oh, holy shit, I am a golden girl. I'm that old, but I want, I'm torn between whether I'm a Blanche or a Dorothy. I, I'm not quite sure. And I'm kind of rambling. So I wanted to end tonight on some sort of positive note. So, you know, again, we are very active. I'm trying to be more active on TikTok. I'm working on trying to put out a um, 
tip from a forensic investigator at least once a week. So for you true crimers out there, I'm trying to give you guys a little bit of behind the curtain information. I haven't really given you guys a lot of like deep dive information. Um, haven't really gone that deep on information yet, but I promise it's coming. I will do that. Um, again, I want to tell you guys, go to Uncover.com. There is a lot of great information. And if you become a part of the community, you will see me a lot. I am on probably almost all the Zooms, a lot of the videos, and we are working on um, doing some presentations I will be doing and sharing a lot of my background. So kind of seeing where I came from and what I did, it can be quite interesting. So if you guys want to be a part of that, it's pretty cool. And I really want to thank you guys for listening. Our next podcast, I promise you, is going to be pretty interesting. We are going to be covering the Dolly Madison Bakery murders. I've been talking to a family member. I don't know if she's cool with me saying her name yet. But I have been talking to a family member and she has decided she's ready to do a podcast with me. She's already done one podcast. She's got that under her belt. So she's ready to do one with me. And I'm excited because I've talked about her before and she is just an amazing badass. She is a true fighter. I mean, this woman stood up to the KBI on a news press conference. I mean, she is willing to stand up for what is right. So if she's willing to do that on a live press conference, I can just imagine what she's going to be like on a podcast. She's going to be friggin' amazing. And she's an animal lover, so she's even more amazing. And I just, I love our chat. So she's incredible. So I look forward to that. So and I do notice I say so a lot. I'm trying to work on doing that. I apologize, you guys. Again, Cryptic Soup, I miss you guys. I miss you so much. I wish I could have gotten to see you. But I hope to see you soon in the future. I look forward to all of your podcasts. If you haven't checked out their recent podcast about Spring Hill Jack, check it out. It is awesome and taught me a lot of new stuff. Very cool. So, oh shit, I just did it again. As well, have a good night, be safe, and talk to you soon.